If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Yo, man. We're chopping it up old school today. Why you say that? CLS, bro. What does CLS stand for? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> it's a hotly debated topic. I don't know, Darko. What's, uh, what's CLS stand for? Well, well hold, hold on. First of all, first of all, we got to let it, we got to give him proper deduction. Uh, we have uh, Phil Darko, uh, Fellow CLS alumni, say hello. What up, everyone? Phil Darko here. And so for people who don't know who you are, tell them who you are. Um, I am a local artist. I am a youth coordinator at my church, Hope uh, Church Mississauga. All right. So for the listeners who are listening and they're probably wondering, okay, what's what's the deal between us three? So like we said, we mentioned... uh, we're affiliates of a Bible study group we were a part of a long time ago called a CLS Bible Study. And, yeah, we're, we were each members. And So what do you guys remember when about first meeting each other through the CLS? Do you remember when that was or what that was? Honestly, my first memory was realizing, oh, man, Darko's way younger than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I, I was probably, you know, me and you are probably one of the older ones in, in the crew. And then I remember, yeah, you were around for for time. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, I remember being like, what? He's like 15? Or or I don't remember what exactly age you were, but I remember just being like shocked. Like, oh, snap, there's some some young cats in this group. I love it. Yeah, Yeah. that was, um, for me, it was uh, because he's uh, Steph. So Steph was bringing him and Gideon through. Um, Yeah, and yeah, you're right. They were um, very, very young. (laughs) Yeah, very young compared to us. Um, Yeah, I think I met him at like a True Light Lounge or something like that. Yeah, like my first experience, Steph, True Light and Steph, and it was just hard to kind of like convince my father that I'm going to leave my house at 10 p.m. <laughs> to go to this Denny's place in Mississauga with two of my high school friends and buy food. Like I spent a lot of money yeah. <laughs> during those years. <laughs> We'd buy McDonald's food and then hop into Denny's and buy some fries and, <laughs> and chop it up. So yeah, yeah. Bible study, Bible study from like 11 at night to two in the morning. Oh man. <laughs> two in the morning, man. That, discipleship that, right there. Yeah, I know that, that was some, uh, those, those weren't family, family friendly man hours, right? Yeah, no, exactly. So it goes, we grew up and, and CLS kind of faded. Yeah. Friday nights became busy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Everybody um, grew up. But what's interesting is that uh, we also went to the Legacy Discipleship Conference in Chicago um, together. Uh, what I remember about that trip was, uh, <laughs> yo, Phil. <laughs> Phil had his Sunny D. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, Phil, Phil was on the Sunny D. And I remember I grabbed this Sunny D. I was like, yo, what? You shouldn't be drinking this. And I looked at it and I had canola oil. Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, yeah. So Sunny D has canola oil in it. That's why it's so smooth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's down your throat. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, that was uh. funny. And yeah, so you were staying in the condo with me and Steph, Anika. Good times. Yeah, Gideon, Gideon Tyra, and then you, and then Jade was... Me, Jade, and I think 
a girl. Yeah, yeah. And you, and, and you guys were um, at the. We uh, were. Yeah, we were. Howard in a, Johnson. We were in a <laughs> oh, that dust, sketchy place. Oh, yeah. We country. were yeah. in a dusty motel, <laughs> but it was like right across the street from Moody. So, and I had my skateboard. I was like, I did not feel bad for you guys. Yeah, oh. <laughs> dude, I, I was loving it, man. I'm booking around the city and oh. a skate on a skateboard. Yeah. Oh, no, no, me and Phil were living it up, man. Oh, we were yeah. living the, with the good life. Mm-hmm. Jacuzzi, remember jacuzzi? <laughs> yep. Oh no. I don't know about you guys. I went there for the word, bro. Uh, no, no, yeah, no, <laughs> the word, for the like, word. Yeah, but, but, at time, but at the same time, yo, you got to learn to kick back. You yeah, learn to yeah, enjoy. Yeah. We enjoy work your hard vacation. to enjoy the pleasures of life. You know. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Those were the good old days. Yeah, man. So, Phil, um, now you're you're a youth pastor. You use that term, youth pastor. Youth coordinator, be specific, whatever. But do you teach him the word? I do teach him the yeah, word. Yeah, okay, so all right. So it's, it's happening. So it's you come a long way. So, so CLS is being applied, it's right? It's a technical term with regards to the church. <laughs> yeah, yeah politics. Yeah, because, yeah. because okay, because so, you guys both go to, well, you guys hope, go to different hope ones. Hope affiliated, yeah, yeah GCC. Hope, Oakville. Hope Oakville and your Hope. Hope Mississauga. Okay, and, so. I'm, and I'm uh, Jarvis Street. Yeah, Phil, so um, yeah, welcome to the show. And so let's jump right into it. So... You wrote a blog post uh, that got a lot of attention um, where you spoke with clarity on where you stood on the whole Black Lives Matter issue in light of all the drama that's been going on in light of mm-hmm. the George Floyd uh, murder. Uh, Black Lives Matter has been, you know, loud and vocal about mm-hmm. what's happened. And so now for, I guess, well, not not I guess, but for Christians, it's been a dividing point where we're, where they're kind of like, okay, um, do we support, do we not support? But before we go into that, what sparked you to, to write this post? Yeah. Well, like two days after, two days after the death of Floyd, like I, I messaged the group chat. I'm like, yo, like my kids are watching what's happening to this man. And like, I got a, I have a sermon already prepared because it's online, but I know that they're going to react to this. So I had conversations with Joel. I had conversations with other believers and some of them were great. Some of them were helpful and insightful. And then some of them were like, they didn't get anywhere. And so, um, and a lot of people want to hear from me, like as youth pastor, youth leader, as Phil, as artist. And, um, I think this is just one of those situations where having a lot of hats and being in a lot of, being in a lot of contexts is, um, had people look to me with, Hey, what are your thoughts? What should I do? What, like, what do you think? And so, um, yeah, the blog, um, was like, I communicate through art, um, and blogs are definitely a way that I communicate without, um, being confined to a beat or, you know, 16 bars or a song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was my way of, of communicating my exhaustion, but at the same time, trying to bring clarity to my thoughts as well. And for future conversations to um, have a starting point and not kind of starting from scratch with each individual person, mm-hmm. well, we don't have the time for that. So, what, so what's the <laughs> so what's the feedback you been? Don't got time for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, feedback's been great. Um, so I've had um, my elder, one of my elders, reach out to me uh, yesterday and another one today, and they've encouraged me with. Um, agreeing with with a lot of things that I've shared and also giving me insight and ways to think about how I've perceived um, racism or may have thought I've experienced it even in the church as well. Um, But yeah, a lot of positive uh, feedback from everyone who has read and they've been sharing. So 
let's let's jump in it jump into it and hopefully we can uh, bring some clarity for the listeners the the direction we're going to head into is we're going to talk about uh christians on black lives matter um definition of racism and is silence compliance when it comes to church or is silence violence mm-hmm. uh when it comes to the church so okay so where so where do you guys land on christians um and black lives matter you want to start that phil yeah for sure um I think as a believer, well, believers should know that we don't um, support or stand behind things that teach contrary to to the truth of of the gospel in terms of like our identity, um, behavior, and purpose as well. Um, but at the same time, I think there's an aspect of where Black Lives Matter, they address an issue and they want you know murderers arrested they want um justice served and for policies in place um to kind of prevent racial partiality or inequity in the future and i think those are things that a believer can um stand behind and support or at least um attempt to come alongside and shed light in their in their own way um I think Black Lives Matter, like I would agree with a lot of Christians on the other side who view them as Marxists and they hold some of those uh, beliefs, um, though I don't think that they're completely Marxist and would like to see that played out explicitly or try to achieve that in our current society. But um, I do think the believer can at least come alongside in in some way, shape or form and and support um, what good they are doing um, and not... Uh, f- like fully blindly follow an organization. Um, I see the same thing with politics. Uh, like God has given us to to submit to authority, but we we, we don't have to um, vote. Like we have the right to vote, and there are parties, and no party is perfect, no politician is perfect. That do things that as Christian I can stand behind, but I don't follow everything that they then do. So yeah, so I think it's like a yes and no, like pick your battle kind of thing yeah i think you know for me where i would resonate i think a little bit with you um and and i'm going to speak i think a little i'll speak a little more generically then i'll get a little more specific mm-hmm. um you know i'm stealing a little bit of this from from paul carter who's got a he has a weekly podcast called or a daily podcast called into the word he started doing this thing called like going deeper where they basically just like chopped up the word from their weekly readings for their church um and this issue kind of came up and and there was a really good line in that you know it's like, who do you stand with? It's like, I stand with Christ. And, w- and I think we all would agree in that regard, right? Like, at the end of the day, when, it, when the time comes, like, if I'm really picking sides, you know, if you're not on Christ's side, well, I, I, I'm going to have to, and this is the generic statement, issue by issue, I have to figure out where do I stand on the issue. Um, and so in that regard, I think I resonate with you there. You know, on a given issue, where do they stand? If they're putting forward a political policy that I can resonate with, okay. You know, where I would say in the political world, things get really messy is we don't, generally speaking, politicians don't go issue by issue anymore. It's, you know, a bundled package with 75 other things at the same time. So mm-hmm. um, while I agree conceptually, I also see that practically it doesn't play out the way we would say issue by issue. Um, and and so in that regard, I would, you know, to some extent, I, I, I'm going to disagree with conservatives at times. I'm going dif- to disagree with liberals at times. I'm going to disagree with everybody at times because they're, you know, anti-Christ in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, specifically coming to Black Lives Matter, um, I would say, you know, not to, I I think we can hash out a little bit about the Marxist stuff a a little bit later, um, you know, when, when you know, when we get into a particular issue, Mm -hmm. um, I would say there's, you know, a video circulating recently, I don't know if you've seen it, basically, it's the one of the three founders basically saying her and another person are trained organizers, trained Marxists, and, you know, not to put a black eye on what you're saying, but yeah. like to some extent, you know, she's kind of, you know, promoting right it as, gate. as you yeah. know, what she represents. So mm-hmm. um, that would give me pause to say, okay, I need to be more concerned about the Marxism, mm-hmm. not necessarily, you know, oh, the organization or the people as a whole are Marxist, mm-hmm. um, which I think to some extent you would um, agree with. Now, mm-hmm. I would say when I look at, you know, their website, what they believe, the most, most concerning thing for me when they talk about family, parents, they refuse to mention fathers, right? Like it'll say mothers, parents, and so, you know, family that like fathers are intentionally left out. Um, and, and, you know, the one line that, that, you know, again, causes my heart to be like, oh man, this organization is something I need to be very weary of is we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Now, I mean, I can continue the sentence, but, mm-hmm. but you know, that alone, you know, that, the family is to some extent a bedrock aspect of Christianity, right? I mean, what we, what I mean, without getting too theological, but the idea of a marriage resembling the Trinity and, you know, Ephesians six talking about the Ephesians end of five, right. Mm -hmm. Talking about that where it's like, okay, that to me is, uh, and again, that doesn't mean on a particular issue, I can't agree with them, Mm -hmm. but as an organization, there's, there's cause for pause. Right. Um, And, and, and I think that resonates with what you said for the most part. So of course, um, Yes, I believe Christians can march with Black Lives Matter, but the church can't. The church has a different mandate than the Christian. We have to remember that the church is an institution created by God, and so is like the state, marriage, and the family. All of these institutions that were created by God have a particular role to play in society. The role of the church is to proclaim the gospel, preserve the gospel, and display the gospel. As Christians, we believe black people are human beings. Therefore, black people matter because they're made in the image of God rather than black lives matter because rogue white police officers take a black life. I don't know, man. It's kind of weird to me that a black life is only valued when a white person takes it. It seems kind of white supremacist to me. Now, I want to clear up the myth that just because you don't support black lives matter doesn't mean you love black people. Now, man, I love black people. That's why I don't support Black Lives Matter. I know I can come across as hard, and I apologize for that. And for those of you guys who heard the interview on the Immaterial Treasures podcast that I did with Sam Say and Dan Fee, uh, it's called Black Tuesday Reflections. Uh, some people said I sounded a bit cavalier, and for that I apologize. I, I'm just the kind of guy who loves strong, and I don't like seeing people I love being misled. It really just bakes my biscuits. Now, personally... I can't rock with Black Lives Matter because their triage is backwards. They specialize on an issue that I would not consider primary, secondary, or tertiary issues when it comes to improving the black community. Now, uh, I'm not going to sit here and and put one issue against another because that would be insensitive. I have an alpha male personality, so I don't follow movements. I follow leaders. And as far as I'm concerned, Black Lives Matter has no leaders, nor do they value people like me black, heterosexual, Christian males. 
I don't know. I just a uh, point of clarification. Would you say, and, and I, I think I know where you're going, but would you say that's because um, on an individual basic basis, you would think people need to prioritize other things and they're prioritizing on a collective basis? Well, uh, well, I'll put it this way. So it's either your top down economics or your bottom up. So it's either you believe change comes from the top down mm. and or you believe your your change comes from the bottom up. I'm a bottom-up guy, so yeah. I, I believe that change is done through the grassroots level from the home, from community organizations, and that I, I, I don't put too much hope in politicians and politics and policies uh, just because, you know, it's hard to measure those things and it's hard to trust Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I mean, obviously, guys. I would agree yeah, with so, trusting. <laughs> you know, yeah. struggle to trust the politicians. I right, mean, you know, right. that's my that's my go to. So, see yeah. it more as like a trust thing, not a responsibility thing. Well, yeah. well, I would say trust in regards to actually affecting change, right? So, I mean, if you know, with regards to my position, politically speaking, it's always that central planning has good intentions, but the unintended consequences a lot of times outweigh the intended consequences, such that you know, the net benefit is a lot smaller because the intended consequence might get achieved. And if you only look at the intended consequence, which generally that's what politicians do and ignore the unintended consequence. And so um, that's where I would say, I definitely agree with Darnell from the top-down approach. The, the political solutions are always for the average. The problem is on the bottom-up level or bottom, yeah, bottom-up perspective, there's so much nuance. And the more that there's a variance from the average for people, the more that political solution fails. Um, and and so I, when I say trust, I mean trust to affect change on a net benefit perspective, not that I don't trust the individual to, to intend to do good or yeah. try to do good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So like what I was saying was that, so for example, God gives a mandate to human beings, uh, the cultural mandate found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, and... Uh, chapter 2, verse 15. And then this is before the fall and after the fall. He gives the mandate in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And this cultural mandate is basically God commanding all people to use creation to human flourishing and, and human benefit. And my beef with Christians is that I wish, I wish we had um, our own program or our own group that fights for these issues uh, in the sense where we're, we we have our own Black Lives Matter, to to to, to say something. I mean, we have the And campaign, uh, with Show Barack and those guys and mm-hmm. uh, Justin Gibney, and, and and I think that's you know an awesome vehicle for Christians to get political. Um, but I just kind of wish we had our own way to support Black people apart from people that um, hate our Jesus, hate our family, hate our men. And hate everything we stand for. And then that's why I, that was my issue. So I, I would like to see more grassroots things being done. And that, that was just my issue with Black Lives Matter. Uh, but when we, when we look at that, part of it is when we see them protesting and what they're protesting for um, and looking for justice for, um, for, George, uh, for George Floyd, I th- it's a good thing. And, and, yeah. and you, you got to, this is what they do. Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter specializes in this particular area. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't beat them, join them type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll get to change the way that they see fit. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's. Um, I think there's an aspect of, you know, police brutality is definitely an issue that that I think we're finally going to see some at least. Pol- there's political clout that hey, policing is a problem. You know, there and and I, I mean, I, I've been. What what I find ironic is, I haven't stopped talking about this. Like, you know, I, I, the racial stuff is like, you know, for me being more, more libertarian oriented, like. I've been saying this line probably I'm pretty sure I've said it on the podcast a bunch of times like we had peace officers and we went to law enforcement officers and and fundamentally you know that's something where yes this context has a claim of racism and and, and you know the race issue comes up but you know police brutality for me it's something like I can give you names like Duncan Lemp you know or or other people where you know there's race scenarios that are very similar you know, the, the no-knock raid, uh, I think it's Brianna Taylor. Duncan Lemp is exactly the same thing, but a white guy that nobody talked about. But I was talking about it. And so for me, you know, I look at this issue going like, you know, there, there may be a disproportionality by race, but disproportionately doesn't matter. Zero should be the answer. Like, I don't care if we have unequal outcome in police brutality. I don't want police brutality. I don't care who it is, right? Like, right. you know, and, and, and I think there are systemic issues within policing that that cause police brutality to go more unchecked than it should yeah but but part of the issue is that you know no offense but nobody gives a rip if a white man gets gets killed well and, and no, i would hold, say no 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 hold on absolutely. no hold on i'm not done the, the, <laughs> you know it, it takes a black man being killed by a police officer for people to pay attention to not just black lives but the way police are handling the situation so it's sad you know it's, it's a very sad situation but i'm it is what it is, and I think, um, you know, we just have to take this moment and and try to bring change where we can. But I mm-hmm. think again, I brought up the issue of nobody caring about. Um, I mentioned on the podcast with um, Sam Joseph Hutchinson, a white guy who was killed by a black officer by him putting his knee in his neck the same way George Floyd died, and it brings up the issue of well, race, right? So that was on video. George Floyd was on video, but George Floyd is going to um, go viral because um, there's something in us that's that that just raises anger, especially right. um, and a lot of people seeing a black man being killed by a white officer. Just it just has a signal of everything that's happened in the past. And Joel, me and you talked about this long time ago, man. And this, yeah, is, why, yeah. this is why we have the podcast now. But <laughs> well, and, no, and no, I would say, on. yeah, hold on. No. So okay. so so right now we're going to um, the issue of race. So. How would how would how would we define race? You mean and 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 racism? Um, Phil, did you want to address that first? Yeah, sure. Um, well, we we want race to communicate people groups. Like, there's one one race which is humans, um, but there's different people groups, ethnicities, mm-hmm. um, and the way society is. There, we ha- we're in a context where. You know, some people groups have different privileges than than others, and um, the way I kind of see racism or systemic racism to that is when there is an idea or action that is creating um, partiality between um, ethnicities. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just. Can you expound on why why you said creating partiality? Because the way we as Christians would normally use partiality, it's a verb, not a like adjective, right? Like we consider it more of an action, but the way you used it wasn't an action. You you kind of used it as like a descriptive word. 
Um, and mm. so I'm just, I'm just trying to unpack what you're saying. Um, because you know, I think of the, the scriptures regarding partiality and to some extent they don't apply in the way that you've used it. What do you mean? Well, because partiality would be like you said, it's creating partiality, right? Well, but for the most part, we would say racism is partiality, right? Like the, the reason why racism is a sin is because it's partiality, mm -hmm. but you're saying racism creates partiality. So I'm, I'm, I'm not comprehending. I mean, maybe it was just, you know, the way you worded the sentence, mm -hmm. but I'm just trying to understand if you intended it to mean something, um, the way you were, said creating partiality. Yeah. So I agree that like racism is uh, partiality. Um, but, and I guess like saying that when we call something racist, um, it's what is, what is this action doing that we will now call it racism? And so, um, in communicating that there is either like an unfair bias or favor or hatred compared to other ethnicities or if you have um, an ethnocentric idea of your culture or ethnicity then you're now it's visible or clear that you're now making divisions or partiality um, which i would then call racism mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i think for me i would use like a very like dictionary definition I'll read it just because I think it's simple. And it's it's pretty much what I would say, you know, has been kind of the legacy ver version of the word. Um, so prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one one's own race is superior. Um, and, and so, you know, I think the superiority word there is key because it resonates with that partiality. Um, you know, it can be superior, you know, superior in the sense of like looking down on others and therefore I'm going to treat them differently. Right. So in essence, from a biblical perspective, that's kind of violating, <laughs> you know, what we know the, the new Testament specifically to say, you know, yeah. no Jew, no Greek. Right. right. Um, so um, for me, you know, that that's kind of where I would, um, you know, park racism. Um, uh, I, I do have a follow-up question to, to kind of go on that more, more so about what you kind of said something, you know, in the blog around that yes. that I want to hash out, but right. Darnell, if you yeah. want to, yeah, no, um, I think, you know, for, especially for Christians, uh, who we, I don't want to say we wrote the book on sin, but we, <laughs> we have, we have the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, ha we have the book on sin and we have the book on evil and, and how we handle it. And we actually have a doctrine, um, homartology, which is the doctrine of sin and doctrine for anybody who doesn't know is what the scripture says about a particular topic. And so, you know, I, I try my best to, to see things through a biblical lens and, and how, um, what scriptures apply to that. So, f so for me, the way I'm seeing, uh, racism is, well, in a general implicit way, that's applicable in all situations is John seven twenty four. Um, use, uh, do not judge by appearance, but use right judgment. Uh, what do you think of that, Phil? Um, yeah, like I, I think I would agree with both of you guys. And I think the reason why I lean towards just addressing, um, not just the, the motive of why someone is creating, um, I guess, dis disparity or differences between another person is that you don't always see someone's motive. Um, you mm -hmm. don't always know if someone is judging you. And that's kind of like where you kind of need to work a little backwards from 
the action that someone has then committed against another person, whether intentional or not. Um, but I think the danger then is like, is someone being racist or are they just being culturally um, like ignorant or um, that's another word um, for it. It's uh, it's like being culturally ins- insensitive. And I think it's easy to kind of blend those things together um, or put that in the bucket of someone being racist uh, t- t- towards you. But yeah, it's definitely challenging to, well, at least I would kind of stray away from um, defining racism on the lens of motive than the action of what someone does. That makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, I, I definitely, I think that kind of resonates where, where I wanted to ask you, cause you have this, you know, the part of your blog where it's like, what, where, why we dis, yeah, why we disagree. Why we disagree yeah. And, and so, you know, it's, I'll, I'll kind of hash out what I'm thinking and then you can, you know, tell me what your thoughts are or rebuttal or whatever you want to call it. So you said of a lot of us disagree on whether racism exists or not because we have different definitions of what racism is. Right. And, and I would say my, my first instinct to that is, if we take the historical definition, I, I think that statement's wrong. So from the historical definition of racism, um, you know, I would say it, it's funny. If you look back to like, you know, maybe the 1960s, I would have said, yeah, there's a, there's a disagreement as to, you know, is it right or wrong, right? Whereas today, there, I don't think in this term of definition, if you look at, obviously, a racist might disagree with the word. Mm-hmm. Outside of, you know, the, the KKK members, which... I mean, you know, the 300 of them in the U S or whatever, you know, versus there's a, you know, that the, the, you know, sort of overt, you know, hardcore sort of, you know, people that we, Richard Spencer, people that, you know, I don't want to associate with. And and most people don't, um, outside of that group, I think most people would agree. Yeah. Racism exists and, and we think it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where, you know, when I read this sentence, but then, you know, when you talk about different definitions of racism, to some extent where you're starting to go, you know, where you started to go now, I would say, well, my question would be, is that because we're conflating things? We're trying to add things to this term that's beyond what the historical word means. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't be worried about those things. I'm saying though, is it not becoming, isn't it becoming a semantical problem when one person uses racism in a way outside of the traditional word? And then, and then some use it outside of a biblical context. So now you're, you're, you're sub, you're taking away the idea of racism being a sin and making it a, an economic principle or, or, or a political policy. Uh, or sorry, what you or said, one are you, that presupposes what a policy would then create in an outcome. So I said that again, like if you're, if to then presuppose what someone may do, um, which is why you would then nuance a definition. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if um, with the historical definition, you would see the person in KKK uniform as racist. But when you see the little things that that person may do in his day-to-day life, you may not see that as racism. Whereas, like, this, the definition caters more to the extreme um, acts of partiality or bias towards different races. Whereas, when you more nuance the definition, then you're able to... You know, since so, starts in the heart. Well, so like you, the only thing I have, like where well, I struggle. Hold with, on, sorry, I just wanted to um, point. Yeah, because like, yeah, I, I, yes, I agree that sin starts in the heart, but sometimes uh, we don't see it working out all the time. So, for example, um, like 
sometimes I feel like killing a person. I'm not going to say who, <laughs> but <laughs> probably me. Some, sometimes I feel like killing somebody and I don't. Um, I'm a married man and sometimes I contemplate adultery. Thank God I don't. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So there's there's many facets where we, we contemplate things that we shouldn't be thinking and we don't act on it. But sorry. F- sorry. Finish what you're saying, Phil. Um, but but yeah. So like um, if. So it's like it's not that's like I understand, like if you're not. Um, I guess if you're not nuanced in the definition, then you're able to then assert in someone's motive based on their action because it's clear evidence of this person thinks that they're superior than another person based on their ethnicity. Um, but to my point, it's like you have different degrees of of desires or... or, or partiality? I guess partiality, like because some people say like racism is only when you hate another ethnicity racism is only when you think you're better than another person um is racism also like are you also creating partiality when you think you're less than another person um i I think that's kind of where kind of want to dive a little more to get to the heart of the real issue yeah Yeah. what is the real issue of racism is is kind of like where i'm leading the definition yeah and and and, and the one thing i would say where where i wanted to kind of push back on you would say i i yes i agree that like kkk is you know Everyone's going to call it racism. Right. But but I don't agree that that's the extent of what the historical definition is used. Because, um, you know, there's a term that's been thrown around a little bit lately. It's like the bigotry of low expectations. Right. And so looking down on someone, you know, another culture or race, you may not show hatred. You might show pity. But I'd call that racism. So, like, the fact that you're like, oh, that race needs my help. Or, or you know, those those people right. are dirty. They, yeah. they, they, they should thank, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there's that pride side of it that, that I would still say, you're, like to me, the way you were wording it, you're excluding that where I would say, well, no, the, the, this definition encompasses, yes, is it harder to identify? Sure, that, but that's, that doesn't disqualify it from being in the definition. Um, but I would say to, you know, to some extent, some of those things do go down to a heart issue that, I would argue, even if you start adding sort of actions, you still can't see the heart issue, right? Like the flip side of that is I could do an action that you perceive as good, but in reality, like the low bigotry of low, the, the, the bigotry of low expectations, right? So I might give money to this community because I think they're inferior, but the action actually looks good. But in reality, the heart issue is still there and, and the, the, the racism still exists, but if I start judging based on action, there it's really hard to perceive that that action is actually from an evil motive, right? And 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 I would flip that around to say like. But that's what I'm saying. It's not like it's not for me to determine someone's motive. Is is this action, like, if the person's motive is because he thinks he's less than or higher than the other person, that's fine. Like that's between him and the Lord. But like if this action that this person is doing is creating partiality. Then that's where I'm I'm coming from. So I well, yeah. So sorry, it. develop that more, Phil, about the partiality, and because um, you said um, I can't remember what it, what it was. I think it was in your article, and you mentioned you said, "For God shows no partiality." Romans chapter two verse eleven. I believe racism to be a sin of action, behavior, and idea. I believe racism to be any idea, behavior, and action that creates racial inequity. 
Hatred um, has levels and so does racism. Partiality and bias has levels and so does racism. Uh, so you were, so you were mentioning so. For God shows no partiality, and then the inequity, which is unequal outcome. Mm-hmm. So for so for those of you who don't know, the difference is um, equality and equity. Equality is equal opportunity, and equity is uh, equal outcome. So so h- how did you get there um, to equity? Inequity is a sign of racism. Uh, I mean, the way I would word the question is like, why not? Why why use inequity and not inequality? And I think that's kind of where I lean towards, like, you can have a good intention of your heart, but then you're still creating um, mm-hmm. scenarios where different people are um, receiving different outcomes based on others without the motive of, I think I'm greater than this other person or that this eth- ethnic group is less than than my ethnic group. So, yeah. I, I mean, my, so here, the, the where I struggle with that is if my decision, let's say, Let's say I'm I'm choosing to help people with you know as the church as a person whatever it is of course and my criteria has nothing to do with race my criteria is based on need and I end up helping the white guy more than the black guy because it was purely based on need is that not inequity but yeah. but is that not pure motives Mm-hmm. So, does that and qualify I think, as so that, racism? I, so that's where I said a little earlier about, um, uh, I guess, uh, cultural insensitivity, or like, you as a person, are you serving or helping someone in your nearby neighborhood or community, or are you just, I'm just going to choose to serve these people because of whatever reason, and I and I, I'm not going to assert in or assume why this person is choosing to help these people versus these people near him or whatever the case is he has his own motives or regards of whatever the case is but in someone's actions in creating an op like a a scenario that is i guess unfair in the context that he's given in so let's say i go to this place and i'm here to serve these people and i help one group within a larger group and it's creating partiality on the in race then i'm creating an a, sorry i'm creating a context of inequity within the context of what i'm trying to to serve so would you use that as criteria for judging it as sin so the the scenario you described would you right. then say well in that case whenever the inequity is created therefore it is sin or and this is where I think Darnell started to kind of ask well, the question gonna, because yeah. the historical definition we would all agree is sin, and and if you're because def- it's more evident and, and the motive and, and is evident now judging sin is really for the right. most part left to God until yes. someone unless someone's confessing and, and being explicit right. you know for the most part a lot of our sin is between you and God so as much as yeah there's there's a different question to some extent when you ask about sin but when you start bringing in action I guess what my question is is this you know, let's call it refined or nuanced version of racism, still able something I'm able to call sin? Or is it sometimes sin, sometimes not sin? Because I can think of, as I laid out the scenario, where basing the amount of help based on need is unequal outcome. Yes. But 
not sinful. And so my dilemma is, is having a definition of racism that goes away from sin helpful or, and, and that's where my concern lies, right? Yeah, like, that's, that's, a a good, that's a good question. Good, great, yeah. You know, that's, and, and not just, again, well, I would let, say, let him finish. So you're going to say, say not to say that the things that you're adding don't need to be addressed. Like yeah. that's not right. the point, right? Yeah. Like the right. question of whether they should be addressed or not investigated, um, you know, different question, but you know, right. Yeah, let them. Okay. Yeah. So is is equality? You know. So the going to sin. No, I I agree with you. Like if if the motive is to help and and you know you're you have the intention to help another person or a people group, that's not sin. It's not sin to help. But then then the question on investigating on is this actually helping for this full community or or context and what this person in this person in himself is not committing a sin of of partiality partiality but his actions are leading to a context where that may be created without the motive of i think you are better than me or less than me that kind of thing so i, I personally wouldn't call that call, call that sin but it's when you see that partiality be created you investigate you check um and then you kind of get to the motive then we can obviously see that a little bit more clearly which is where yeah. the historical definition definitely is helpful yeah and has been you know it's stood the test of time like i'm not saying that definition is wrong but what i what i am saying is that there are contexts where it's unclear or very hard to see someone's motive into why i'm treating this people group or this person differently and i think that's where it's um i don't want to stray like you're not straying away from biblical definition but you do want to kind of nuance nuance in a bit if it's hard to see motive because we don't judge motive we judge yeah. well, the we, action we right? do but generally we can't it's very right yeah, yeah, like, yeah so right right <laughs> we do right. judge it, it but we can't right, right. That's yeah kind of my point. yeah cuz part of it is like when i think about the part like partiality there are t- there are times where partiality works is that like where partiality works and it's not a sin when partiality is being done. And I think like, for example, like you're saying partiality in the sense of inequity, um, um, disparity between blacks and whites. And sometimes you can have um, unintended consequences from a policy that was trying to help and it ended up hurting uh, something like um, minimum wage where, you know, majority of the people, you know, would say that increasing minimum wage helps uh, low-skilled um, and low-experienced workers, which ends up being black people. But mm-hmm. when you do the math and when you look at the stats, black people are the most people put out of work be- after putting up uh, minimum, minimum wage. wage. Uh, so, like, for example, you used uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 11, uh, for God shows no partiality. But that's why I was saying, like, I don't think partiality... In and it, of itself is... is yeah, because it, cause it, it can go different ways because if you look at... Romans two eleven it says God for God shows no partiality, um, but then you look at verse ten, the verse before, and it says, um, "But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek." So we see that God is showing favor first to the Jew and to the Greek. Um, if you go further back and you start at verse six, um, he's talking about God rewarding people for the work. So God is not being partial in the way he applies his rewards to people's works. Um, So it says, um, he will render to each one according to his works. 
So that's like a meritocracy principle where mm-hmm. people are going to be given Merit. what what they're given, um, as opposed to um, God being partial and having different standards for the Jew and the Gentile. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same standard in them getting that. Now, when it comes to ethnicity and the um, disparity of ethnicity, um, if you look in Romans, like we're in just in Romans two, and if we go to Romans nine. And we look at Romans 9, and um, we go to verse 11, right? And so it shows, it says, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And then verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. So we see here God show, God being partial to Esau and Jacob who represent two separate ethnicities, the Israelites and the Edomites. People are saying, okay, well, that's, that's, that's injustice on his part. But what we're seeing here is that He's not unjust. He's doing um, what is right as he sees it. So that's what I'm saying as a principle to say we see examples of God being impartial in regards to status, and we're seeing God being partial in regards to preference. And, and the example I, I generally give on that regard would be like, we should be partial for who the elder of the church is. Like, we have criteria that partiality would be applied to. So, I mean, I, I generally, if I'm trying to use a scriptural perspective, uh, I, I look at more so James 2, you know, the, the pretty big section on, on partiality. And I think verse 4 has a really good line where it's like evil thoughts or evil motives, you know. And, and so the motives of your partiality or, or in a more general sense, I would say anytime you're showing partiality and you're adding race as an irrelevant characteristic, so... I'll give an example of what a relevant characteristic would be, but as an irrelevant characteristic, then yeah, okay, there's sin, there's partiality. Now, if I'm doing it running, if I have a movie of a historical, you know, character and the character's black, picking a black character for that, that's partiality that makes sense. And the, you know, race as a relevant criteria is something that we would, nobody would say, oh, that was, you know, racist, whether, you know, white, Hispanic, whatever the, you know, race is there, you know, you want the authentic nature of the rule. Right. And so um, where I guess where where I would agree with you or where I think maybe your heart is in using the word inequity is when we have unequal outcome by race. It is something worth investigating the cause. And it, you know, from a statistical economics perspective. It's it's not easy work, (laughs) right? Like in economics, we use this term called like paribus cerebus or paradis ser- i can never say it properly anyways the idea is mm-hmm. all else being constant mm-hmm. if i truly wanted to understand you know how much is race um racism affecting this unequal outcome i would have to hold everything else constant and only change you know the racial factor which you know when you're looking at people and time it's it's, it's not a perfect science it's not like we can do you know the gold standard of scientific double blind placebo studies type stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there's, it's an in, you know, it's in exact science, mm-hmm. but you know, the problem I would say that, and this goes to some of the heart of black lives matter is right. 
you know, if I was to say, well, part of the unequal outcome is that this particular race saves more and this particular race saves less. They call that blaming the victim and you're not allowed to have that conversation. What do you mean? Bl- so, saves more. What do you mean? Sorry. So if I was looking at wealth inequality, mm-hmm. let's say I pick, you know, uh, Hispanics and Punjabis. And I, and, and I found that there was a wealth inequality. And as I investigated, I found that, you know, one of them saved 5% of their income and one of them saved 10% of the income, regardless of how much they make. That was just sort of the standard that would have a huge impact on wealth of those fam of those families. But if I add that and said, instead of Hispanic and Punjabi, it was white and black. And, and I said, well, the, the races save differently, regardless of level of income. Like if I've said people who made 40,000 that are this race and 40,000 this race, here's how much they, you know, you see a disparity in how much they save. And I said, well, this culture, if I said the black culture saved less and I don't know the numbers, I'm just kind of trying to give an example. Yeah. yeah. And, and I said, well, that that's part of the problem for wealth inequality, literally sort of the, the paradigms that underline a lot of, you know, intersectionality, critical race theory, they basically call that blaming the victim. You're not allowed to have that conversation. Well, that culture needs to save more if they want to improve the wealth inequality. And so this is where the word inequality for me, I go, yeah, you're right. That, that is something as a flag to say we need to investigate, but we need to be willing to say, hey, of the disparity, you know, this small, large portion is racism. We, we can't sort of default to all of its racism prove otherwise. Because I would argue inequality is the natural scenario when you give people freedom to choose, right? Like it happens with you go, go look at European countries with men and women. They find the more egalitarian they are in, in those, uh, it's the like Nor- Norway and, and, you know, that sort of region, Sweden, of they find they're the most yep. egalitarian, mm-hmm. but you still have the most disparity because mm-hmm. women tend to go in one direction because of their traits and again obviously we're speaking on averages and and men tend to go in the other and so the reason i bring that up is to say is is racism not an issue no that's not what i'm saying i I, to some extent i'm saying like there's some work that needs to be done when we see inequality so i mean i know i've kind of gone on a oh no i'm just writing notes (laughs) yeah yeah no 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 don't get no i just meant i was i was trying to transition to you as a question that's very helpful um you know, this is where the word inequality to me has connotations, maybe in a way that you're saying like, hey, we need to be worried about racism when there's inequality. Fair statement. But inequality equaling racism as a default position is where I start to say, is that not partiality? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's a different form, but to some right. extent you're kind of. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe um, that my blog didn't really help. Um, communicate uh, the the pros in in partiality and not just saying all partiality or any kind of differences between ethnic groups is now sin. I think like where um, similar to your point about um, uh, which kind of culture is saving an amount of income and playing the victim. I think that's where people like more on the Black Lives Matter side kind of come and they want to look at the context a little bit more nuanced. Like are all black people not saving? Are they unemployed? Like, what kind of people are we talking about? Because then we're now, based on how the stats is, I guess, um, sur- surveyed mm-hmm. or presented, it's like every single black person 
is like this. Then we create this idea of mm-hmm. you're not going to save. Then on the mm-hmm. higher level, like you're going to now treat these people um, differently. And mm-hmm. I think that's where they say, no, don't like there's don't a reason why we're, we're unemployed. Like what what context or neighborhood are you looking at? What's the context yeah. of of Indian people or, or um, South Asian people? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the then, punchline on there that I would, that I would but yeah. agree with you is stats don't lie, but liars use stats. Yes. And, 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 and yeah, <laughs> so ex- I resonate ex- with like, ex- exactly. <laughs> and I, th- and I think, and I think that's where black lives matter. Um, they're not perfect and we're not perfect either, but mm-hmm. they're going to look at that and be like, no, like you're coming at this with a presupposition and I want to blow up that presupposition. Let's look at the specifics and why are we looking at it that way as well? And then, so like, so, Sorry. So with my blog, um, I, I, I guess I try to use partiality the negative, in the negative context. So like, yes, God shows partiality um, and we can look at why he shows partiality. So in Romans 9, it's like for his purposes to continue. Are they good purposes or bad purposes? They're good purposes. When we, when we have partiality and good purposes, they're good. Even in the negative aspect, when God shows partiality, Jew or Greek, you're a sinner, you're going to get punished for that. Mm-hmm. For God shows no partiality. For us as human beings, believers who want to do good, we do show partiality. And, and, and that is good. But then at the same time, why I nuance the definition is that there can be outcomes created from good intentions or even neutral intentions mm-hmm. that results in partiality in the negative negative context it's it appears to be unfair bias or or favor to a different ethnic group and it may it's not that person's motive and that's where i think the historical definition is helpful because then we could then look at the outcome and then clearly see the motive and address it that way but it's it's definitely a lot challenging to see it yeah no no i i I agree with that because like like that's all that 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 i was just concerned about was saying that partiality is it's a sin in is and of sin, the outcome just the equity inequity is is sin in of itself and, and that's why i was kind of making an argument scripturally like that's you know we can't find that in scripture where that's where that's a principle but when it comes to the church um and dealing with um sin and injustice in the culture um the idea the mantra of silence is compo- compliance violence a uh, silence is violence uh, and the church not speaking out. Um, where do you guys fall on, on, on that, uh, Phil? Yeah, so I was just reading Ecclesiastes um, in chapter 4, verse 1, and Solomon just says, and obviously different parties will see racism as an issue or some don't not see it as an issue, but he says again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to, to comfort them. And so um, every church, every local church is called to um, its members, and God also addresses this issue to, not this issue, but God addresses uh, for shepherds to shepherd their sheep um, universally. And then locally, we care for our members. If one of our members suffers, then we all we all suffer. And I think, regardless of how you view um, racism, whether you think it's systemic or not, if it exists or it's current today, there are people who are seeing what's going on. There are people who are experiencing sin, different experiences, and and they're suffering. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, I think churches locally should at least um, be addressing this issue on a local level. Like, is is there like do we do we emulate this? Do, are are we doing things that may appear to be, um, I guess, is there racism in our church? Whether you view it on a historical definition or you, or you don't view it on a historical definition, do I? F- do you feel that you are sinned against or, or can you relate to what's kind of going on in, in the world as well? And so I, I think there is, I think elders are definitely in churches are in a place where they either kind of agree what's kind of going on and, and are, are speaking out on based on what's happened in the States. And there's definitely uh, churches who would lean to a side of caution and, and wisdom because they either may not agree or they just may not see it with a lot of clarity because we've had conversations um, about this in, in the past as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think churches should at least communicate, at least in light of what's going on, here's what we think. Um, because silence is not violence, but it does communicate something. Whether you know mm-hmm. you are you don't agree with what's going on, you don't know what to say, um, but a church should say something, at least locally. Yeah, uh, it's funny, uh, man. It's crazy. I, I have a lot of pastor friends. I never thought that that, that would ever come. That ever be a day. And, and, <laughs> yeah, right? especially when you were nineteen. Eh? Yeah, yeah, back in the day. Yeah. So, so, so you know, I, I I've talked to a lot of them, and uh, the best advice that I that I heard um, was that you know you can affirm the feeling, you can affirm the feelings, um, but 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 you shouldn't affirm the narrative. Because there's more than one black narrative. And so for me, um, you know, I would say my perspective on this whole race issue has changed because um, I had brothers reach out to me um, venting um, and and um, bearing their burdens on me and, and opening up to me yeah. about the difficulty they're having. Um, now these are these are you know black guys men not women because you know how women could get sometimes <laughs> these are <laughs> these are m- black men in the faith love the Lord biblically sound and they're coming to me and they're saying yo D like I'm really angry right now I'm pissed off um, I'm seeing a lot of things online that's making me angry and I I'm mad at my white brothers and sisters. And because of their um, lack of understanding, and I feel like, um, you know, and, and, they, and they feel like, okay, I have issues that I didn't realize I had that I thought I left at the cross. Um, experiences of racism being mistreated. Um, and, you know, thinking that, okay, now when you come to Jesus, it's all gone. But technically, no, when you come to Jesus, those feelings don't go away. Um, a rape victim, um, you you come to the Lord, the, <laughs> yo that trauma doesn't go away, um, and so for a lot of black people who have gone through, uh, you know, racial trauma, um, and 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 haven't really gotten the treatment, because especially especially well one you know I don't want to stereotype nobody, but usually you know in certain communities I guess speak for my Caribbean community black community, you know. Um, getting help and mental health is something. <laughs> we, it's we a sign of weakness. It's like, a sign what's of wrong weakness. with you? Your, your mental health is at the ball. At the yeah, court, yeah. Right? We don't, like, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't take that seriously, and especially as not just as Caribbean people, but as men, because 
on the podcast that I did with Sam Say and Danfi, um, um, Black Tuesday Reflections, um, I mentioned the racial trauma, post-traumatic stress syndrome, um, mm-hmm. vicarious trauma. Afterwards, the ladies were like, yo, yo, thanks, D. The <laughs> ladies were like, thanks, D. But the fellas were like, ah, uh, what, you know, what are you talking about? I don't cry. <laughs> don't right? So, so the point I'm making is just that um, it was helpful for me as a Christian brother to, to, to open up myself to other brothers to say, yo, you can come to me and vent, and I won't debate you. I won't debate you. Um, this won't be um, me fact-checking you, but you can come and vent to me right. um, about your issues. I, I, don't, I don't think it's wise for black people to vent to white people. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's um, wise or smart or helpful. Why? Well, why do you say that? Like believers, you talking about believers. If I if I was just purely like where I think I understand where he's coming from, it's like think of it in, and this, I know this might sound horrible, but think of like a therapy sort of session. You're not going to communicate to some like you, it's going to be really hard to communicate to someone who's going to be largely ignorant to your experiences. It's different to communicate to them to be like, hey, you know, you're I want to help you steward the sheep of our flock better. Here's the experiences that some people have had in your flock, right? Mm-hmm. So in that mm-hmm. regard, I would say, yes, that, that, if that's what you're referring to, mm-hmm. I think Darnell would say, yeah, do that. But for you, when you're working through something, generally I would say you're going to want to confide in someone, one, you can trust, and two, who can understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, so what I'm, that's what I was kind of getting at in regards to um, not, not just that, Joel, but also if you're – a black person that believes in implicit bias, white privilege, white guilt, white fragility, mm-hmm. white chocolate. <laughs> I love that white chocolate, gross. by the way. What? No, I love white chocolate, man. Yeah. <laughs> I love uh, Christy, Hershey's cookies and cream. <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah. So, so if, if if you're if you're if you're a black person who holds who holds to those ideals, a conversation with a white person is futile. They can't do nothing for you, because technically it doesn't. It's it's not. It's no longer a dialogue. It becomes a monologue, because the white person is disarmed to be able to, be able to ask you to unpack or even just to go back and forth or ask you tough questions. So so even for me, and that's why I was and that's why I was saying like, and that's why I was apologizing in the start. Um, if I you know my my wife says I'm a pretty intimidating person. I, I hope not. I hope I come across as a you know enjoyable person to be around. Um, so I so I say that an apology to um to a lot of my brothers uh in the faith that like yo if you want to call me up and you want to chop it up and, and 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 so forth and even more so I've also reached out to people in my church cuz I you know what Phil I didn't even realize people were hurting in my head I was just like oh come on man like I'm looking at them in my shoes I wasn't being mm-hmm. I was I was being sympathetic I wasn't being empathetic and then when people started when my, these guys started coming to me I said okay shoot yo like I got I got to check in on people and say, yo, yo, where's your head at? What are you mm-hmm. thinking? Um, and they'll open up and they'll be like, yeah, D, I'm here, I'm here, I'm this, I'm this, I'm that. And yo, I'm not even, I'm not even here to debate you. I'm not here to talk politics. But you know what ends up happening, Phil? After the venting, you know, and letting all the you know, the emotive aspect of what's going on, right? Then the person starts to ask deeper questions where mm-hmm. they're kind of like, yo, so yo, D, yo, um, so what do you think economically is going on? Yo, what do you think about, um, you know, theologically of this and that? And then you can get into deeper 
debating type topics. But first, yo, you just gotta let people vent um, and be vexed. And and I and I just think it's best for black people to do it with black people um, versus with white people because it's it's if you're a person that holds to those social justice ideals, there's no conversation there. Yeah, it's uh, you know the the silence is violence, silence is compliance. I mean, they're they're catchphrases that I think you know fail to recognize nuance um, at the simply, you know, I think you made a good point that not saying something also is communicating something. And so as a church, I, I would agree that saying nothing, you have to be, or, or when to speak, you should be very considerate of. So, so not to put you guys on the spot. So did harvest make a statement? Um, Well, I know you guys did something. Um, I mean, I would say my, this is like the craziest time of my life right now. So just in you, terms of personal, you may not know if they they did or not. Yeah, like I mean, I think I don't remember. Like I know they they talked about it. You know, sermons. It, it kind of obviously referencing what's going on. But in terms mm-hmm. of like a very explicit statement, I they might have put something out. But I mean, I'm in like new job, taxis, and all these. That's just like <laughs> I'm. You know, I'm I'm in survival mode right now. Right. So you know, keeping up with all of it. Um, you know, that is partially why we have, we would basically are just restarting the podcast now. So, um, I, I also, I think they might've promoted what you guys were doing. Um, oh, okay. Just cause we're, or, or at least sort of like made cool. reference to it. I know I heard, uh, Jason Mata at, mm-hmm. at Toronto West TOS, talk yeah. about it. Um, and so I, I, I don't know exactly, um, with regards to what my church said or didn't say, um, I would say definitely in terms of sermons, it came up in passing, right. um, you know, uh, my, my church, but is that enough? Well, and see, this is where I was. What do you think? What do you think? Phil? I think, um, yeah, the bigger the church is, the more burden you have. Right. And I think you got to think about your congregation. Like I know for your church, um, (laughs) it's demographic is not, it's not so colored, but there is color there. Well, it's my, my Uh, church is like great. Like, crazy multicultural like something like 70 languages are represented wow by how many people though compared to the to the so i mean um you know what's the percentage i mean we live where my church is located in burlington and oakville like (laughs) you know the the local population i would argue it resembles the local population Mm -hmm. right which might be 70 percent white Mm -hmm. i don't know i would say i don't think my church is 70 percent white i would say if it's 50 i'd be shocked Mm -hmm. and the problem is I don't know who to call white. Like right. this is what this is uh, to be honest, this whole like conversation what always kind of frustrates me is like I don't put myself in a category with Italians. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I don't put my, I I literally my culture is hockey. Like I know that might sound ridiculous, but but what I'm like I, jokingly I'm always like, "Yo, I'm a European my like I have no tie to any culture mm. in the sense of legacy, history, whether that's because you know, my dad was the first Christian in his family, maybe. And so, you know, other than my last name is Macedonian, which like doesn't even exist as a country anymore. It's a province. But the point being what what always I find difficult to understand is the aspect of this conversation around, you know, oh, I lost my culture or I lost my heritage. And, and the reason I say I don't because I'm like, well, I don't have it, but I get that. It wasn't taken from me. And so I can see that there's a difference, but I also don't necessarily know. 
So what does it mean? Is sort of my, the question that I can't answer because I don't, it's, it's something that you're saying you're missing, but I don't have. So I, you know, like, and again, I not, again, this is where I would, I get frustrated in, in all of this conversation with, let's say the word privilege. Yep. Because I think it, it starts to say, okay, well, one sort of ignorance or one sort of, you know, and privilege is such a broad term, but, but you kind of use the term cultural insensitivity, right? So that it's almost like, well, when the majority is ignorant, that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But when the minority is ignorant, we don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is where, you know, I'm like, you know, it's like Darnell said, I can't walk in these people's shoes, but recognizing every time you're in a conversation with someone, you should be at least going, especially if they're saying something to you that sounds like they're a crazy person. Chances are it's like, okay, wait, I'm interpreting what they're saying through my life and, and my, you know, worldview, especially if they're not a Christian. But if you try to put yourself in their shoes, you might actually look at them and go, okay, I can, I disagree with you, but I can actually understand how you have that position. And so my point about bringing up privilege and sort of my, my frustration is, are we potentially sort of, as I said, demonizing one sort of ignorance and, and dismissing another? When if we really want to have conversations, you know, on personal levels, we always need to recognize, well, I'm ignorant to you and you're ignorant to me. And when you're trying to tell me a story about your life experience, help me understand you because I clearly can't and vice versa. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like me and Darnell start talking about hockey versus basketball. Like there's an aspect of like, okay, well, here's how we're different. Here's how, you know, so going back to the, to the silence, you know, piece, I, I, you know, the point I was trying to make was that I, I, I have a concern that we start to judge people who might be silent because or churches or churches that are silent <laughs> yeah because they're 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 in turmoil about so many aspects of this right uh, like, term I, I would I would I wouldn't say turmoil because well I, I'm thinking turmoil more more on the individual level right like if so somebody's no I mean well, well no because I thought you were talking about the church well I was trying to talk about both but the, I use the word turmoil more so in the individual sort of I'm broken over this. I mm, hate this. You know, you know, well, yeah, some people are turmoil. Some people don't give a ish. Well, and that's, but this is my point. <laughs> you know right? what I mean? Like, like <laughs> the person who doesn't give an ish is the one that you can say, like, you know, your silence is telling me something. Yeah, right. yeah, but no, but yeah, but even then, for some people um, who just are just kind of tired with it, um, like, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle was saying too, like, you know, like, I don't have to say anything. One, because nobody cares what I think because I'm, you know, doesn't matter what I think. It, what What's going on is, is, is the testimony by itself. Mm. And like, and he totally agrees with it. But, you know, he was just so grieved. He's just like, yo, I, he's like, don't, he was kind of like, yo, don't even ask me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dave Chappelle was like, yo, don't put a mic in front of my mouth because I'm telling you. Now is not He's going to go off. Yeah, now is not the time to ask me what I think about the situation. So you have him, a person who's going to withdraw and then another person who just doesn't care. And then, but then from the church perspective, you have a church who will do things behind the scenes mm. where, because like Action as, as somebody, yeah, one of my pastor friends were pointing this out to me, like about, you know, social media, Twitter, Instagram, and people feel like because of social media, you have to come and make a public statement. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. Cause I'm on social media a lot. And, and, you know, 
it almost feels like it's natural for a pastor to come out and make a statement on what's going on. Kind of like in my in my junk mail, I got they're uh, home. It's COVID nineteen. Yeah. they have nowhere to go. Yeah, their Wi Fi is unlimited right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and you know, you know what was popping off too? IG, uh, IG Live. Mm-hmm. IG Live was popping off. Everybody had a statement to make, and even like. You know, in my junk mail from Old Navy, Old Navy made a statement about Black Lives Matter, <laughs> right? And I was just like, "Wait, but hold on, good, uh, yo, good food, oh like, <laughs> good, like they send me meals, bro, and they're talking about this stuff." So yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. So everybody, so so people are kind of like, "Okay, so where's Pastor So and So?" And so you, you know, we ha- the point I'm making is that you know we can't just jump to conclusions and say that your church doesn't care, um, you know. Yeah, your church doesn't care. So they, they might be doing things behind the scenes. Right. They, they might make a mention um, in the service. Yep. Um, but again, the goal is to affirm the feeling, the feelings and not the narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, if if the individual Christian, the individual person wants to go out and rep Black Lives Matter, um, that's fine. And I say that with the sense because like you said, um, Black Lives Matter doesn't believe in the things Christians believe in. Um, but it's okay for Christians to support things that um, don't necessarily support the church. So, for example, um, the genetic fallacy, because that's to commit the genetic fallacy. The genetic fallacy is to say um, you judge something um, on the root, even though the fruit is good. So because you're not going to rock with something because of where it comes from, um, even though the fruit is good, um, then... It's a contradiction. So Romans 14, 14, that nothing is evil in and of itself. A theological example of this is uh, Lucifer, right? God created all things good. God created the devil, right? Lucifer means bearer of light. So Satan starts out good, ends up bad. If we judge Satan based on the root, Satan's good and we should rock with him, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but the genetic fallacy is just pointing out that just because of where something comes from, um, it does you make sure you're judging the fruit and make sure the fruit is coming out and mm-hmm. it's something helpful. So that's why, you know, some, you know, Christians can rock with it. For me, again, I don't rock with Black Lives Matter because of where they stand economically and their principles. It is what it is. But I think that for the church, making sure that we're making sure that we're making that distinction between the role of the Christian and the role of um, the church. And like I said, First Peter chapter two, verse four to five, um, more so verse five emphasizes that the role of the Christian, you are um, royal priesthood. Uh, so you're there to witness and you're there to worship. That is the role of the church. Um, the role of the church has no um, political agenda or should not have one. Right. Um, the state is the state does the state. Um, the state shouldn't be dipping into the church diaconate fund. Right. And the church should not be supporting any political streams. And for the individual, you're free. If like if Phil comes, if Phil set, goes to his church and says, yo, um, I'm, 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 I'm doing this food drive for this organization that's helping at risk. So and so. Then people are like, OK, let's rock with Phil. But but the church isn't co-signing with it. It's just your brothers are saying, you know what, as Christians, th- these things align with what we teach in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And we could rock with that. So. so- yeah, the, I have two other thoughts on on the whole silence thing. One is, to some extent, you know what we talked about, like action, you know, and and let's say sort of a, it's part of the sermon because it, you know, generally speaking, cultural things that are happening come up. You know, I think about the scripture. I, I, I 
would have prepared to know where it is, but but you guys, one of you two might know, but where it's talking about you know the Pharisees and the way that they give in a very like public manner, mm-hmm. and and so you know to some extent, are we calling the church to do the public thing? And and you know it's like well, being public about you know giving to God or giving you know taking care of the poor like are you being boastful? Are you try, you know are you trying to promote your brand mm-hmm. or are you c- doing what you're called to do as a you know the church and the, and the body of Christ and and so I what I'm trying to bring up is like are we actually calling the church to step out of what the God is actually how the how God calls us to serve the poor um, and and so again I'm not saying like you don't make public statements but to some extent to require it it's like well we shouldn't be boasting that oh my you know it's like this year we achieved five fifty million dollars in missions. Like, you know, are you boasting about what you're doing for God, or mm-hmm. are you actually doing it for the sake of, mm-hmm. of right. doing it? Yeah. yeah. Um. I I wanted to just harp on something that that Joel mentioned about, um, white privilege, and I, and I mentioned it too, and just in regards to like a, a Christian perspective and and where God has placed us, and and I mentioned this in in the Book of Acts. Um, I think it was twenty. I'm about to find it. The boundaries and times, right? Boundaries and times. Yeah, yeah, the boundaries and times. And and so God has placed people where they are. And especially for us who are reformed and believe in, in predestination and that God um, is sovereign and that he predestines where people should be. Um, it's one of those things we have to remember not to put burdens on people that the scriptures don't call us to put on people. Um, it's not my fault. My dad is who he is and my mom is who who she is and I came out the way I came right these are the cards I was dealt and you got to rock with it Mm -hmm. Um, I think from like an economic perspective or even a population perspective so like being part of a minority comes with um, an intrinsic disadvantage um, regardless of the spectrum and um, like that's true in Japan it's also true here yeah yeah And, and, and you can and you can never overcome it in this life um and so we have to remember that the context that we live in um you know i made a joke one time on the sixth sense report and um you know we were talking about uh oh trudeau (laughs) justin trudeau right and uh and and he he was doing this blackface thing and i can't remember and 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 joel said well you know you know the reason why he didn't know is because that's his um you know that that that's white privilege, and I was and I was kind of like I don't think you said it, but something along those lines, and I was just like, no, that's that's not white privilege. That that's a white disadvantage, because ignorance. No, no, not ignorance, man. Like it's a real disadvantage to not know what's going on in a certain community. Because if you go into that community now, now you're off kilter, and it's the same thing. You like you know if I yeah, go, yeah. you know what I mean. If if I go into a Muslim country. If I go into a Muslim country and I go in there with, with my with my Christian cross on and carrying on and and preaching, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a dis. Like yes, even even though I'm from a first world country and we're doing, um, you know, and I have all these privileges, I still have to check myself going in to that sphere. And because we live in a multicultural society, yo, there's some overlap where you know, as a white person, you know, in Trudeau, like. <laughs> You know him going to the school he went to and coming from the family. He, he, you know, like it, it didn't occur to him to be like, "Yo, like this is this is not a good idea to put on blackface." So the only point I'm making is just to make sure that um, 
we're aware that, you know, something we can call um, a privilege could also be a disadvantage and that context. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's all context. And as, and as Christians, we know that, yo, every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights, comes from above. If you're calling, a, like, it comes down to this. If you're calling that privilege a good thing, then it has come from God. Mm-hmm. If you're calling, if, if, that, if that privilege is not a good thing, then it's not a privilege. Yeah. But if it's a good thing, then it's a privilege. And it's from God. And if it's for a good thing, then it comes from God. Right? So then our, what is the Christian response to God's blessings on others? What is it? Not covetousness. Not envy, not jealousy. Glory. I think he got praise. A, what praise? Praise. I I think though that you gotta like you have the sovereignty of God and you have the free will of man, mm-hmm. and so I think with that kind of thinking is where you kind of get the white blessing. I don't know if you guys heard of it. <laughs> I didn't even watch. <laughs> oh, bro. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch it. I didn't want to watch it. It's the same thing with the guy in the cray shoes. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I couldn't, I I couldn't, fin- I couldn't finish it. I couldn't push play. I, I didn't want to watch it. I was like, you're dumb. But essentially, it's like I have a – I've been given – like in a result of sin, it's caused good, you know, and then – you will have a camp that will kind of use that passage and be like, this was for the good of our nation. And oh, therefore, okay, no, no. this is from God. And I think you just got to make that yeah, clarity yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of like. No, 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 you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, yes, I, I agree with you in that sense. Where like, if like, for a, a very simple principle, blood money. Right. Right. So if, you know what I mean? If, if, you're, if you're eating off of blood money, drug money, or whatever the case may be. Um, That's fine. not a blessing. Right, yeah, yeah, it's not exactly. a you know God's is, not is blessing that a you because perfect gift from you know, God, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no. Now, mind you, now, mind you, you but, know, the, but the, when the when, when the Lord when the Lord comes, the Lord comes and, and and writes those things. But the point is, the 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 advantage that people are talking about, or the privilege that people are talking about, are privileges that you were born with, mm-hmm. right? And not not necessarily blood money, um, but there are cases where that could be blood money if you can prove it. But in the in the sense where it's just. For Christians, and that's why you know the show with, with the Six Sense Report, um, we, you know we, we try to make sure that you know we're examining these things, mm-hmm. and so that we're taking a biblical perspective is just saying, okay, look, yes, we might not like, we might we might not like the blessing that God has given to somebody, we might not like the privilege that God has has predestined somebody with. That's not the Christian response, right? That's mm-hmm. all. That, that's all I'm saying. Is that, that, that's just not the Christian response to 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 hate on somebody or or make them feel guilty because of where the Lord has placed them. And actually, I wrote a blog post on this called "What Christians Can Learn from Charlemagne the God's Book: Black Privilege." You can find it on my blog, HighEndTheories.com. So check that out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I mean, I said it on a. I don't know if you heard our when we had the Teachers Like Us podcast with them on a. Our podcast. I was I was getting upset or upset's not the right word. I was I was critiquing sort of the term white privilege. No, sorry, right. you can tell him why you mad, son. No, but like <laughs> the thing is, in in light of what he's saying, right? Like if we're talking about oh the fact that you got two parents or the fact that you know your parents, you know we're not talking about like stupid wealth, but oh the fact that your parents have two cars, oh that's white privilege. It's like these are things like one. The term white privilege is intentional to demonize whiteness. 
Like if you understand sort of the origins of critical race theory, intersectionality, like there's a there's an objective of making them evil. Yes. And in that regard, okay, that's a problem. Right. But at the same time, you know, there it's like Luke twelve forty eight, which says, uh, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. And so I think so maybe the if I want to look at the Christian heart behind, you know, the idea of privilege, should we call those who have more to to live up to this standard? Absolutely. What standard? What standard? So in my sense, I think of it in those that have abundance. You know, what is what does James tell us about true religion? Right. Taking care of the, the widow and the and the, the poor. orphan. Yeah. Right. And so if you have a lot, but you're you're hoarding it for yourself, you know, call them to repentance in terms of that. Right. But when, the you know, the problem is the person whose family is like, you know, just what let's say, you know, just past, you know, being, you know, not even like they've just reached middle class. How high of a standard do you want to hold them to in terms of, oh, you have privilege. Oh, you, you know, and, and like to some extent, I would say, you know, how much more you don't know how much they give and they don't give. Like we're not talking about the person with like seven cars in a mansion. Right. And so my point is to say that, you know, to some extent, let's be careful that are we calling them to a biblical standard or are we sort of falling into the terminology that the world uses mm-hmm. that actually starts to demonize the things that the Bible calls blessings and things we should be rejoicing about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Phil, uh, as we wrap up, what are, what are your final thoughts on, on this whole thing? Yeah. I think to that last point of if the church should, um, do something. Um, and like, I think we all agree, like there's an in-house local aspect within your church that uh, yeah, every take church care your should, business. should do, right? Like it's your family. If I have, you know, two kids and one of them's crying, I'm going to want to know what's going on with that kid. <laughs> if I have 20 kids and one of them's crying and I don't do anything, I'm either communicating that, like, these other 19 kids are, there's probably something more popping over here versus, like, it's not that serious. And I think, you know, churches, regardless on their size, um, should at least, um, and, and to your point, like, be an open ear to at least those who are suffering. If one member suffers we we all suffer right so mm-hmm. to recognize the hurt that some people are going through mm-hmm. and then you can then have conversations on um now tell me why you think this is happening or like let's look at the bible and find out why this is happening and how we as a church can respond to like our congregation and then maybe talk about on a public level i think it's just very interesting that you know covid came when it came and this came when it came and now everyone has to say something. Um, there's definitely got the nothing fear else to of, do. Yeah, they got nothing else to do. Yeah, there's a fear of being canceled. Like if yeah. Good Food didn't, you know, say what they said, black people would go to Hello Fresh. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's definitely that fear of man that definitely plays a part. That the church needs to be mindful as well, um, but to respond in love to to those that it's 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 tending for. Yeah, um, and you know what I also add, Phil? Also like, um. You know, I'm not an elder at my church, um, and you know, you can st- I, you know, you can still reach out to people. Um, you don't right. have to wait for your pastor to do something. Exactly. Like you can do it. Yeah. You could do it yourself. Um, Each member 
feels what the members should should feel, right? Mm-hmm. And you and you, and you know your people, you, you know your group, you know you, you mm-hmm. know who to reach out to, and you have a person's number, and yeah, we should be more caring um, to reach out. Um, so yeah. Phil, Phil, let everybody know where they can reach you. So you can reach me Twitter, Instagram, uh, Phil Darko Hip Hop. You can email me at phil at hopemississauga.ca. I will try to get back to you as, <laughs> <laughs> as fast as I can, but I'm pretty quick. All right. Uh, when I'll, I'll we'll, put all we'll, that we'll, in the show notes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whatever, we'll, we'll, whatever links, uh, article, that stuff, we'll, we'll make sure we... Uh, Where's the mixtape dropping? Ooh. <laughs> I got the unreleased stuff, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Shout out to Middle Child Records. Nice. We got an EP coming out this Friday, Anthony Sawyer's. Um, so we can look look forward to that. Turbulence in order. Oh, yeah. That was a nice hat he had on, man. His <laughs> pictures always look good, man. He's always looking fresh. Yeah, Yo, what up, what Anthony? What doing. up, baby? He knows what he's doing. All right. That's good. See uh, you, Leslie, out. <laughs> peace. <laughs>